0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour... You'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, we've got just about three areas of endeavor as adults at which we may feel either successful or unsuccessful. These are relationship, parenting, and work. Two of those areas have something to do with the emotional intelligence, and probably the third as well. One of the reasons we have trouble with emotions, however, is that we're taught to control them, in effect, to push them out of conscious awareness. They then become substrates of our actions, which can only erupt through passive aggressive or even aggressive behavior. How are we ever going to understand emotional intimacy if we're not taught to understand emotions? Well, our guest today is here to help us with that. Robert Masters, Ph.D., best-selling author of Spiritual Bypassing, Emotional Intimacy, and Knowing Your Shadow, not only helps us understand emotions and how to work with them, but also how to relate to others through emotional intimacy, a primary element of successful relatedness. And we're also going to hear a clip from the second episode of Oprah's interview with Indira Ari, so stay with us for that. Robert Augustus Masters is a psycho-spiritual guide, relationship expert, critically acclaimed author of 14 books, and spiritual teacher with a doctorate in psychology. For the past 35 years, he has innovatively integrated mind, body, emotion, and spirituality in his work. He and his wife, Diane, are the co-founders of the Master Center for Transformation, a school featuring relationally-rooted psycho-spiritual work devoted to deep healing and a fully embodied awakening. At Essence, his work is about becoming more intimate with all that we are, high and low, dark and light, dying and undying. So welcome today to our show, Robert. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. All right. Well, let's just kind of jump right in there. We got a lot to talk about today. I guess the first and most important thing to talk about is what is emotion. What, I mean, there's so many people out there in the sort of new thought and new, maybe even new age movement that are talking about uh, distinguishing between emotion and feeling. And I kind of want to hear from you. What is your definition of emotion?
3: Emotion is a, is a complex thing. It's it's a, it's a blend of feeling, cognition social factors, all working together at the same time. So it's more than feeling. Yeah. It, it has a context to it. It depends how we were brought up. It depends how our culture views that particular emotion. It's a very complex thing, but it involves all of us, um, body, mind, emotions, spirit. So it's a wonderful topic, a very deep topic, and unfortunately one that doesn't get that much attention. We tend to, you know, we all have emotions going on all the time, but few of us know them well. And my point is the better we know our emotions, the more skillful our lives will be, the more, uh, better our relationships will be. Everything will work more functionally if we know our emotions well.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. As a clinician, I often hear people say, well, I'll ask them, well, how, how does that feel for you? And they'll, I don't know. <laughs> and that, that whole idea is basically what our culture has taught us to do, isn't it? We just don't well, know what we in feel. a
3: typical session, this is more for men than women, I'll ask him, how are you feeling? And usually the, his eyes look go up to the ceiling, like the answer's up there, off to one side. And invariably I'll get an answer back that's not a feeling, but it'll be a perception or a thought or an opinion. And then I yeah. will non-shamingly instruct him on in how to, you know, identify feelings, and if he can't do that, we'll start with sensations, you know, the, my breathing feels, how my shoulders are. Then we get down to, okay, here's some sadness, maybe here's some anger, here's some shame. Here's some subtle joy. Just to get, we haven't been taught how to identify our emotions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So you distinguish there between emotion and thought. Can you help us understand that a little bit? Like you might say to a client, what is the difference between emotion and thought?
3: Well, thought involves mind. Thought and, thought is abstract. And, and um, uh, emotion at its core is just raw feeling. We, we just sense it in the body. It's immediate. It's quicker than thought. You know, when we have an emotion kick in, very kick in, usually it arrives before a thought can even show up. It's out of the starting blocks a lot quicker. So thought is to mind as as feeling is to body. And many of us in our culture have been taught to overvalue our intellects and to lift from the neck up. And we tend to kind of keep our emotions in the dark, except for the ones we feel are acceptable to us.
2: hmm, And others. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so you mentioned identifying emotion, and that's a big, big topic, but I want to sort of get a, a handle on that. How do we begin to identify a particular emotion?
3: Well, the first step is to turn toward it, take our attention toward it. So if there's a, some, something arising in us that feels uncomfortable, if we pay attention to that rather than trying to distract ourselves from the discomfort of it, we will start to recognize it in some detail. We won't just think, oh, I'm angry or frustrated. We'll notice, how's our anger manifesting? How do we feel? How does it feel in our tummy, our ribs, between our shoulder blades? What sort of thoughts are arising with it? What's my intention? Uh, How old do I feel as I feel this uh, emotion of anger? What would I like to do with it? All these things arise, and if we pay attention to them, we get a really deep, uh, nuanced picture of that emotion. And and, uh, my shorthand for this is to talk about being intimate with an emotion, and in intimacy doesn't mean fusion, you know, getting lost or identified or one with something. It means having just enough separation from what you're close to to see it clearly. So to mm-hmm. be intimate with another person means to be very, very close to them, but also to have enough separation so you can keep them in focus. Same goes with our emotions. Most of us either are too far away from our emotions, dissociated from them, disowning them, or we get lost in them. We get over emotional and we get absorbed, and to such an extent we can't function properly.
2: Yep, that's true. That's true. So, so I, I really love that uh, analogy. Being able to focus on it, being far enough away, so you, so that that distance is created with uh, sort of being able to use the thoughts as well as the emotions.
3: No, no, because okay. that distance. If you use the thoughts, you get lost in thought, whether it's positive or negative. It's more to do with awareness. Okay. And not not so instead of thinking of being aware we're aware of thinking we're aware of thinking we're aware of feeling we're aware of being and that's that's a kind of a meditative practice to stand in that position where we can see what's going on without thinking about it so being aware of an emotion doesn't mean thinking about it it means actually noticing it in a very direct way the feeling of it the texture of it where it arises in the body, the movements of it, the shifts in it. Because emotions are very, they're not things, they're activities. They're very fluid. You can be sad and a moment later, there's some anger, you're, or the shame. A few seconds later, there's some withdrawal, there's, there's some contempt, or there's maybe a subtle joy creeps in at some point. They're very fluid, and, and the closer attention we pay to them, the more we can see them um, in focused detail. We can track them.
2: Right. Right. So in the process of developing emotional intimacy, we also run into uh, the shadow as well. You've also written a book about the shadow. So can you tell us a little bit about how that factors into it? Yeah, first
3: of all, it's an audio series by Sounds True on Shadow. Six hours of, of uh, me talking about shadow and exercises of how to work with it. And shadow meaning whatever in us that we've disowned, rejected, pushed away, denied as being part of ourselves. And we all have shadow. The question is, do we work with it? And for many of us, we'll push some of our emotions in the shadows. Those who, for example, consider anger to be a negative emotion will tend to keep it in the shadow, shadow lands. Mm -hmm. And they won't know it very well because it's in the dark. And when it comes in, it often will behave badly because it's been kept in the dark for so long, and they feel justified in saying, well, anger is a negative emotion. and If I'm going to be really spiritual, I have to transcend it, when in fact... Emotions like anger follow us all the way up and down the developmental ladder. I mean, you could be angry and be extremely mature-developed being, just that your anger would be very clean at that level. Yeah, and yeah. And the key is to bring all of our emotions out of the shadows so you can see them. And that means sometimes going into the, the cave, so to speak, where they reside, and, and, and especially the ones that we find very difficult, like shame, uh, contempt, schadenfreude, just the ones that we tend to go, oh, I wish I didn't have that, or I don't want to admit to having that. That's that's pretty embarrassing to who I think I am. And yet we all have them. They're all there. They're part of our, our emotional register.
2: Yes, we do. Yes. And that brings us to the uh, book I mentioned earlier, Spiritual Bypassing, as well, because uh, and I really like that book, and it's also being used in the curriculum of our sponsor, the American Institute of Holistic Theology. I thought you'd like to know that. Oh. They're using it to, to teach their students as well. Uh, and, and one of the things you said in there is the thing about negative emotions, and you talk in the in, uh, in your book about the fact that there are no negative emotions. And one of the things that I hear daily, and I'm sure you do too, from all all um, aspects of our society is that um, in order to be good people or spiritual people, we have to bypass those so-called negative emotions, and and that makes us good people because we don't have those bad emotions. Mm -hmm. So can you say some more about that? Well,
3: first of all, that divides us. Into you know up and down positive and negative and it it splits us. Many who who are advocates of oneness are actually doing the opposite when they say, "Well, this is positive; that's negative." I've never seen a negative emotion. Um, mm-hmm. I think what we do with emotions can be negative, certainly. Like for take hostility, for example, clearly a negative state, full of ill will, doesn't wish the other person well at all. Hostility is not an emotion. Hostility is something we are doing with an emotion, namely anger. So the anger itself is not, the ne- is not negative, but what we're doing with it is negative. If you know, Converting into hostility, getting aggressive with it, getting shaming with it, getting sarcastic with it, that's negative. But the emotion itself isn't. But what, if we think of emotions as negative, we'll tend to keep them in the shadows. We won't know them well. Imagine Absolutely. being someone who claims to have transcended all anger, who in secret is acting out their his or her anger behind closed doors. How painful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How unfortunate. And its I think we have to stop pathologizing emotion. I mean, even now, many people look at shame and go, all shame is toxic, uh, which is not true. There is toxic shame. There's shame that is crippling. There's also a healthy shame. That's the voice of our conscience, so to speak, that activates our conscience. And I think every emotion is worth getting so intimate with that we can make good use of it and not let them morph into negative states.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so another thing that I see that people do, and I'm sure you see this as well, is that we identify, like you just said, with the behavior. I mean, I've had people tell me, well, I wasn't angry. I didn't hit anything or or, or throw anything, so I wasn't angry. But what they're really saying is, I don't know my feelings. I only know my actions. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You can't identify an emotion through behavior because someone could be um, angry and show it in a thousand different ways, ranging from smiling nicely to being violent. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, there's so much here. I mean, I wish we had an emotional literacy one-on-one in our curricula and, and schooling systems, but we don't. So we spend a lot of our time, my wife and I, educating those who work with us on emotional literacy. And it's mm-hmm. not just intellectual education, it's experiential.
2: Yeah, I agree with that so so much, and I and I I wish we had that starting in kindergarten, starting in parenting, but then going into kindergarten, yeah, because young yeah people emotional identify the
3: feelings quite easily. They they know when they're angry, they know when they're sad, but if that's not validated and stuff, they learn to not articulate it, and it becomes an in, too much of an internal experience. Mhm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a, a part of this whole thing of knowing ourselves, uh, it, emo- our emotional selves, has to be the willingness to go into those caves you talked about. And in order to do that, we've got to understand that neg- no, excuse me, emotions are not negative. Yeah, uh,
3: so to understand that for any of us, uh, it sounds good on paper to turn toward one's pain. I think it's a major step in our evolution. But to do that, we have to face the part of ourselves that doesn't want to do that, that wants to be distracted, that wants to get lost in, in, uh, through sexual or narcotic or workaholic means, etc. So turning toward the painful is a huge step in our life psychologically and spiritually. and it's a, It can be a very small movement. You're uncomfortable. You feel some pain of some sort. You turn toward it. You take your attention toward it and into it doesn't feel good, but there's something liberating about it at the same time, because you're now in a sense facing the dragon. You're a step closer to the treasure. And your courage is being activated.
2: And, yeah, it,
3: and the, I uh, think... So, uh, sorry, and, and the you who would love to continue being distracted or distracting himself or herself from what's going on, is being kind of put in the back seat. Not rejected, but put in the back seat. Not, just not allowed to run the show. So if I'm feeling some pain over something relationally, I may feel some desire to pull away from it, to rationalize it, but I've learned the hard way to go toward that and to acknowledge it, be transparent, let my egoity get embarrassed and say, okay, here I am after all these years of work and myself behaving like this, and here I am. There's a transparency, there's a humility in it, and it's liberating at the same time.
2: Yes, it is liberating at the same time, and I've had this experience myself, and you may have also. And also seen it in with working with others that uh, that sometimes you experience this uh, even devastating pain, and simultaneous to it, experience some kind of peace.
3: That's true, and it's not really paradoxical. It's, it's I, I've seen it, especially around grief with people, and myself mm-hmm. is is there can be an agonizingly deep sobbing a sense of profound despair, black hole reality. And at the same time, there's a spaciousness. There's a sense of being open to life more deeply so that everything becomes more vivid. The colors are brighter. You're more alive. You, your heart has been broken open, and you feel like hell, but at the same time, you don't feel like hell, mm-hmm. like you were alluding to. You feel something else because you've gone into it so fully. And I've seen this with every emotion. Someone goes into their anger, say in a men's group with us, fully, suddenly that anger may go to rage and suddenly a second later they're in joy because there's so much passion, so much vitality and they're in a safe environment.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and to be able to find that safe environment within ourselves is amazing, isn't
3: it? That's huge and you have to first of all encounter the places where you don't feel safe, didn't feel safe as a child and just do the required work around that so you've become a safe place for your own opening. And in a sense you're giving yourself permission then to be in as much pain as you really are, without any shame around it or apology. Here I am yeah, I'm hurting. So what? Here it is, I'm going into it. I'll know myself more deeply for exploring it rather than going, Oh, I shouldn't have this.
2: Yeah, we just have a few more minutes before the break, but I wanna say sure. I I I think that, you know, that whole thing of starting what you said about courage, the starting the journey into allowing ourselves to go toward the pain or toward the emotion, whatever it is, um, it is so scary because we think we're just going to get stuck there and be forever feeling this horrible feelings. So before, just before the break, we have just a few minutes. Can you say something about that?
3: Well, implicit in that is fear and fear is, you know, one of our primal emotions It's one of the basic emotions. And, If we do nothing else in our self-work, I think we, we, we could do just working on fear. What is fear? How does it manifest to me? What's my history with it? How can I turn it into an ally? How can I not be caught? And the key to working with fear is to get inside it, to take your awareness into it. And then there's a subtle expansion and the fear becomes less pure fear, and more excitement, life energy on the loose, life energy that's available. But that requires that one turn toward it. That's the biggest step. It could be just a millimeter of a turn, but to turn toward the fearful. Like you're in a nightmare, you're being pursued, and you stop in the midst of your dream. You turn around and you face what's chasing you. You stand there, you're quaking in your dream boots, but you're resolute and you do battle. You make contact, you do something. You engage with what's after you. And invariably, you'll find out it's a disowned part of yourself. But you don't get to know that till you faced it.
2: Uh-huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was so beautifully said as well. Yeah, I, I, you know, that whole process of being able to do that makes us open to the possibility of a bigger, bigger life and a, exactly. a more meaningful life in, in all kinds of amazing ways that we we just can't know until we're willing to go there because our emotions are how we know we're really alive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, we're we're going to uh, stop there and take a break. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more from Robert Masters. Stay tuned.
0: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: Are you interested in finding out more about Divine Guidance? We all possess special gifts in this world, and sometimes finding out more about them and how to use them can help us get through some of the difficult parts of our lives. Tune in to Elemental Balance, Soul and Spirit Guidance with host Phyllis Valois. Phyllis is an intuitive and medium who will use her gifts to help you find out more about your gifts. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Every moment that we live provides us with numerous opportunities to grow more deeply spiritually through our active engagement in positive, concrete ways that can uplift, encourage, and help ourselves and each other become a part of Our Sacred Journey with your host, Audrey Katagawa. Our program will include guests who will share their experiences with you to inspire you to help create a peaceful, cooperative present and future and to explore your creativity and the valuable contributions which you can make. Our Sacred Journey airs live Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave.
0: Be the change.
1: You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's one 866 472 Five seven nine five. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andrea.matthews.lpc.com. Now back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: And the Authentic Living show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following, Holistic Theology, offering as terminal degrees both a THD and a PhD, Holistic Ministries, Holistic Health and Spiritual Care, Metaphysical Spirituality, and Alternate Spiritual Traditions, which includes an in-depth study of the paranormal using a home study model for distance learning the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world AIHT is a real educational program where you will get a real learning experience in a broad spectrum of educational endeavors utilizing as your text writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world one of whom is our guest today Robert Masters and right now AIHT is running a special program in which if you email in before July 1st you can get a free course just email Beverly love at aiht.edu and make win a free course your subject. If your letter's drawn, you'll win a free course to check out the quality of the work you will do at AIHT. The big deal is that facilitating your dream is AIHT's mission. All you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director, Beverly Love, at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325. Within you are countless magnificent achievements to be discovered and fulfilled. Let AIHT open the door to your magnificence. And we're talking today to Robert Masters on emotional intimacy, his uh, one of his books. And uh, we were talking during the break, uh, uh, Dr. Masters and myself were talking about how uh, the, his book "Spiritual Bypassing" was so helpful uh, in terms of uh, that whole idea that we can bypass our emotions and thereby call ourselves more spiritual people. And uh, and uh, I wanted to bring that back up right now, Robert, to, to, to say that what you just said about how, and we both just said about how it is that sometimes even something as beautiful and wonderful as meditation can be used to bypass our emotions.
3: Very easily, especially if, if we've had a lot of pain in our lives, um, difficult early history, we discovered meditation, especially the more advanced forms of meditation, and we feel a kind of a, a very good feeling of separation from that. We've risen above it, and uh, we're present with it in a way, but, we're, but the distance from it just reinforced the distance we wanted to have from it when we were younger, so we're just acting on an old agenda in a way, and we spiritualize some old wounds. Uh, even in something as advanced as, say, uh, Vipassana practice, long retreats, Students are often told to watch it when something difficult arises. There's value in watching it and being present to it, observing it, but there's also there's times where it's important to express it. Sometimes someone needs to cry or get angry in a, in a very expressive way rather than just to quietly sit there and internally observe the emotion moving through their system. At a coarser level, new age levels, um, it's so easy to demonize certain emotions and then we split ourselves we enlarge our shadow and we also are perhaps in denial we even have a shadow and things get very difficult and we probably increase our shame levels if we're not measuring up to our teachers or teaching standards we'll probably in these contexts make ourselves wrong for it then we have shame around not being enough and that shame goes unaddressed and and in most cases that shame manifests as internal aggression our inner critic gets stronger and stronger and is constantly wagging its accusatory finger at us and we're meanwhile on the outside probably smiling trying to show equanimity and we're in hell inside mm-hmm. and all we have to do is say you know what for me spirituality means being full in part fully human like being intimate with it. my definition of enlightenment is to be intimate with everything everything dark and light everything and to do that we have to face everything that we are and there's a plenty of things about us that we don't like or despise, and we have to face that too. It's easy to bring compassion to our nobler qualities, but how about bringing compassion to our the contemptuous us, or the us who um, doesn't care about other people at all? It's so yeah. important to, to take that compassionate presence that we're capable of into these darker zones of ourselves and illuminate them. We're not trying to rehabilitate them or convert them. We're just going in there to meet them. And once you've met something like anger or shame that's been pushed away, when it emerges and it's handled skillfully, it functions as an ally for us. It's not a problem, not at all.
2: Yeah, and th- and that also applies to this uh, uh, fairly constant theme we hear about the so what I call the rush to forgiveness. You know that whole oh, idea of got to have this, got to forgive really quick, got to do that. Very dangerous
3: stuff because we see so many people that are. Have, have indulged in premature forgiveness. I mean, I often say the road to forgiveness is often paved with hatred. That means if you've been really violated by someone, you eventually, ultimately, hopefully will forgive them fully so you don't carry it to the grave. But to do that, you may have to get into some really dark states yourself, or you might even feel like killing that person, violating them. Not to do it literally, but to actually feel that and to be given permission to hate fully, to rage, and to grieve completely. And then forgiveness can emerge and it can be a very beautiful thing and a very real thing rather than just this kind of new age band-aid we put over a wound
2: thank you, yes, thank you for saying that yeah, um, the, the whole idea that you said there is that it emerges, it becomes a natural part of the process of mm-hmm. healing rather than us forcing it into place
3: yes, yep. and see implicit yep. in that is many of us don't want to feel how present our past is that we haven't really worked through a lot of the old wounds and unmet needs and all that stuff we've risen above it we've kept it at a certain distance and the real healing is to go into that to let that emerge to meet those zones of ourselves that were shut off or traumatized and knowing that it all can be healed that's the good news it's all workable it can be really difficult at times but it's all workable we've seen people in horrendous situations come through and heal but that's because they stuck with the process yeah they didn't yeah. run away since things got difficult they stayed with it and they trusted
2: yeah Absolutely. And so that, pro- that whole idea of empathy and compassion that we talk so much about in oh, yeah. the spiritual area belongs to us, for us, to us, about us.
3: Yeah. So, you know, no empathy is no compassion. Of course, empathy itself can be problematic when uh, people don't have um, good boundaries. They can get overly empathetic and get swamped by the other person's emotional state. Absolutely. And that's where anger comes in because anger kind of, you know, keeps the, keeps the boundaries clean. Acts is yeah. kind of a guardian for that, and doesn't permit tra- transgression or trespassing.
2: Yeah, so we need every one of our emotions. They're you know, not they just. Came, dis- they all
3: came with the, the operating kit for being a human being here. <laughs> they all came, and they're 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 there from birth on. I mean, uh, we're born feeling, we live feeling, we die feeling. Even in our dream in our dreams, we're always feeling. The only time we're probably not feeling is when we're in deep dreamless sleep. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, we're we're feeling all the time, and. um Many of us have a a passive relationship to our emotions as exemplified by our language. It says in so many words, you know, I was consumed by what I was feeling, I got carried away, Um, she brings out the beast in me. Whatever metaphors we have that imply we can't help what's happening. So we end up feeling like we're a victim of our emotions and then we want to kind of find a way to control them or over-control them by, for example, becoming hyper-rational. We often see couples in conflict and it's, usually goes this way where the, the woman's getting very emotional and the man gets more and more rational and tries to find fault with her delivery. Of course, we see it reversed too, but it's more commonly in this direction. And if he's successful, she'll then focus on her shortcomings and pretty soon they're both focused on something that's wrong with her and he's off the hot seat. And of course, we step in then and, and undo that whole process. Yeah. So the, you know, yeah. the rational mind can be a wonderful servant, but it can be one hell of a taskmaster and controller.
2: Yeah, it really can, especially when it's identified with the external shoulds, have-tos, and ought-tos.
3: Yeah, disembodied rationality.
2: Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's let's talk about uh, relationships just a little bit, because uh, most of the time when people hear the words emotional intimacy, they, they think we're talking about strictly um, for relationships. You're also talking about having Im- intimacy with your own emotions.
3: Yeah, I was a conflict coming up with a title for the, the book, because we couldn't, Cover both in the title, so we settled on emotional intimacy. But if I had a longer title, it would have said something like becoming intimate with our emotions, each of our emotions. But they go together because when you become intimate with them, you become capable of emotional intimacy, meaning you can resonate with a partner very deeply emotionally. If you don't have that resonance with a partner, it's very difficult to take the relationship very deep.
2: Absolutely, and and very often when we don't have that, uh, the rela- that's when people come to therapy and say, "Help us because they, we don't know what we're doing." Or they rely on
3: sex, or they get into porn, or whatever. But the yeah, yeah, we often see a couple that's having a very articulate couple having a, a, a back and forth hassle, and we'll stop them and get them in touch with what they're feeling and, and work with them until there's a resonance emotionally. And at that point, once that's established, then disagreements at the mental level don't matter as much. It's just like Oh, you know, who cares? It doesn't really matter. We'll work it through because they're connected. So we often say, um, when in doubt, make, your, make the connection priority. Yeah, emotional so- slash spiritual, psychic, full-out connection. Make that priority. If that's slipping, do something about it. Don't try and fix it by arguing about something else.
2: Right. So, okay, so that's the don't. What's the do? How do we connect to... Uh, The connection. How do we connect to the connection?
3: A couple things come to me. Soften and get vulnerable. You know, both people have to understand what it means to be vulnerable and practice it. Very difficult uh, for men especially, but quite possible, quite doable. That means to be transparent,
2: unguarded,
3: not in a foolish way. If someone's attacking you, you probably should put up with some defense. But in most cases where it's not like that, it's important to be vulnerable. If you're feeling defensive, you could say, I feel defensive, and just show it. Not, I'm, not being, I'm not saying I'm being defensive because you're a jerk. It's just I'm being defensive. Take a breath. You soften. You get vulnerable. And when couples soften and get vulnerable and tell the truth about what they're feeling, magic happens very quickly. Yeah, and if there's true. places in them where they don't feel safe, <clears throat> excuse me, that surfaces very quickly, too. And, and, and what this does is slowly but surely builds trust. So there's more safety within that couple's relationship for difficult emotions and states to be shared.
2: Yeah. So actually, vulnerability is our greatest strength.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a true source of strength in most cases. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk a little bit about gender and emotions. There's people out there who tell us that women are different from men in terms of their emotion and their biological makeup regarding emotion. What do you think about that? Is that true or false?
3: I think it's true. I think that there's there's always a mix of of, um, genetics and environment. I mean, males are more aggressive than females in general. They are. There's more testosterone. They're just built for it more. They're also acculturated to it, too. Right. I think I think that there's, there's, the similarities are far greater than the differences. But I think women have a somewhat of an advantage when it comes to emotional literacy and developing it. It comes more easily to them. But I've seen many men learn it too. It's a little more work, perhaps because it's the, 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 the fiber network between the two halves of the brain isn't quite as developed. There's less of a relationship between the two sides of the brain and men. I think that's part of it. But take anger. I mean, that's why. Well, I, I, We have less flattering labels for women's anger than men's in our culture. In other words, Mm -hmm. we value women's anger less than men's. So men not only have more, are more prone to it, but they also have more cultural permission to get really pissed off and often be, oh, he's just being a guy, he's being assertive, he's being hot-headed. Woman does that; she basically gets labeled a bitch. She's given Mm -hmm. a negative, given a negative connotation, and she's also given the impression she's not as feminine when she's doing that.
2: That's right. And,
3: and that means for many women, anger ceases to be such a resource in relationship. They can't use it as much, and they may have to resort to more indirect ways to get control. Although we've seen many women get in touch with what I call heart anger, which is the, to me the highest level of anger, wherein uh, we are really expressing it strongly, and our heart is involved too. We are, we are clearly caring for that person we are really pissed at. It can coexist.
2: Yeah, is that why women cry when they're mad?
3: Um, I think women cry when they're mad because they're more vulnerable. They're more in touch with their real anger. Real anger is a vulnerable emotion. When a man's in touch with his real anger, his tears are close to the surface too. Okay. And I'm not talking about when women actually crumble into crying as a way of trying to salvage what's going on, but where they actually are so hurt by what's going on, the tears come to the surface. Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the
3: healthy anger. Here's how I distinguish it from aggression. Aggression attacks. Anger doesn't. And also, really healthy anger is an inherently vulnerable emotion we're forceful yeah. in it but we're also hurt and it's important to let the hurt show to some degree too
2: yeah and and now uh, this is something i say tell me if i've uh, if, if you agree with this i think that um one of the things that it is, is that anger can be sort of a shield that guards us from the deeper emotions behind it is that true
3: it can be healthy mm-hmm. anger isn't Healthy anger just opens the gates to whatever's there. If, you're, right. if there's a lot of grief, other emotions kicking in, healthy anger doesn't block them. When anger is not that healthy or is unhealthy, um, we'll use it to cover other things. Especially if I'm, you know, for men who don't want to show their vulnerability, their tenderness, or their shame, they'll stay angry. Mm-hmm. And to such a degree, it may seem that they are only angry. They're not really feeling some shame or feeling sad. They're just pissed off. In truth, they're probably either very sad or there's a lot of shame going on that they don't want to feel. So anger can be a cover, but it also doesn't have to be.
2: Yeah, yeah. That uh, whole idea of, of putting healthy in front of anger seems to most people, uh, particularly people in the spiritual world, yeah. to be somewhat of an oxymoron. You can't yeah. be healthy in yeah. anger at the same time.
3: Yeah, well, one one thing that helps the people to do that, I've worked with them, is to say, let's look at anger and aggression. I'll say, here's how I differentiate between them. I can do it in quite a bit of detail. If you take the aggression out of anger, and you're still angry what's left.
2: Yeah, still there you fire.
3: go. There's still passion, but there's yep. a caring. And see, if I'm angry and it's really healthy, and it's really clean, I don't dehumanize the other. If I'm in aggression, I dehumanize the other, turn them into an it, and I'm out to attack them. In anger, healthy anger, I'm not out to attack. It's more like I'm out to underline what I'm saying, to emphasize it, to highlight it, to kind of break through... Uh, perceived barriers to intimacy for example
2: wonderful so we're going to talk some more about that right after the break we'll be back in just a moment with more from Robert Masters stay tuned
0: This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Explore subconscious programs, belief systems, and past life memories that may be sabotaging your life. Join host Dorian Light on her show, All About You, as she helps you to shift change and heal your life. Each week, Dorian does a light session using psychic energetics and the language of light to energetically shift and clear negative patterns you have stored regarding that week's topics. Step into the realm of infinite possibilities for your life. All About You airs live Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave.
1: Many of us make choices in our lives based on how others react. But what should really matter is making our life choices based on what we intuitively feel. By tuning in to The Mystic and the Mystery with Inspired Intuition hosts Beth Parojik and Christine McIver, you'll receive the tools and inspiration you need to do just that. Your fears do not have to drive you, and you are naturally intuitive, creative, and whole. By believing in yourself, you can live the life you've been longing for. Listen for The Mystic and the Mystery every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
0: Are you living your happy life? Are you looking for something more fulfilling? Tune in every week for Living the Shift, our evolution of mind, body, and spirit with your host, Angela Coulter. The worldwide economy has changed the way that we view and live a traditional happy life. The spiritual and metaphysical world does provide some guidelines, but many of us have no real understanding of these and what they can do. Listen live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel.
2: And we're back talking today to Robert Masters. And in a few minutes, we're going to take a little break to listen to the clip from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday uh, series. But right now, I just want to uh, talk a little bit more. I think we've spent a lot of time today talking about anger and, and appropriately so because we've we because anger is one of those emotions that we seem to want to hide from or either either we run two opposite polarities, we either overexpress or underexpress anger. And uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about how anger, you mentioned it briefly about the boundaries that it helps us make, but what what are the uses of anger in our lives?
3: Establish and maintain boundaries um, to address injustice, provides fuel for that. I mean, we wouldn't have had things like the civil rights movement if there hadn't been some collective anger on the rise. Mm-hmm. It's, it's part of the process of, of, of implementing needed change. If something's not working in a relationship and one partner gets angry in a clean way, hopefully, it brings it, it, brings it to the other person's attention in a way that probably wouldn't have worked otherwise. So it, it, it's a highlighter. It's an underliner. And it's a, I often call it moral fire there's a sense of, um, and it can, for better or for worse, we can use anger in ways that are harmful, and we can use ways, anger in ways that are really, really beneficial. Mm-hmm. But the point is to have it on tap, so that when we do need it, we can use it. And there are times, too, when we need to be able to say a, a full-blooded no uh, when a violation is about to occur. We want to have that capacity for anger on tap, too, which you could call full-blown rage. There's a time and a place for it, not very often, perhaps, but we need to have that available to us. And if we're looking at anger or something negative or something we shouldn't have we're not going to uh have the power we probably need to have in certain situations
2: yeah so it it, it is a uh i don't want to use the word tool uh because it, it that use it word is way overused but I, but i i do want to say it is a power in within us that empowers us is that do i have that right
3: Yep, and it's a fire, and then fire is both heat and light, and most anger is just all heat, you know, being righteous and outraged and pissed off, Mm -hmm. but the higher levels of anger have some light, there's some compassion in them, there's some clarity, there's some perspective, and when fire is both, allowed to be both heat and light, it can be very healing, and the highest levels of anger I think I would call wrathful compassion, which are kind of legendary in certain spiritual texts where the teacher gets really angry, but in a way that's very compassionate but, it's, but they're really they're they're heated they're they're really loud and they're forceful but the compassion doesn't leave and i think that's something for us to aspire to is to find ways to let anger and compassion coexist
2: yeah yeah, I would say, of course, I don't know the insides of the man. I, I never the outsides of the man either. But I would say that Gandhi had to have had some kind of anger to have gone to the lengths he went to to accomplish what so. he accomplished.
3: I mean, look how look how royally pissed off Jesus got. I mean, there's a yeah, and uh, there's a right use for it. Divine yeah. wrath. I mean, that's that's not an oxymoron. I mean, there's something about that about that level of fireiness that it can be can serve us deeply. It can kind of knock us out of our slumber.
2: Yeah, and I, one of the things that I find is when I'm working with someone who is sort of run by guilt, anger is a beautiful antidote to that. Mm-hmm.
3: And run by fear. I often say to people that um, fear is excitement and drag. And fear is and anger. Biochemically, are pretty well the same thing. So if we visualize anger, fear as a closed fist, when you relax that fist, now it becomes anger or, or excitement, this available energy. But if you contract that angry energy because you don't think it shouldn't be there, you probably increase your fear levels and your desires to kind of rise above all of it.
2: Yeah, yeah. We're all connected. Yes, it is. And we are all connected. That's the beautiful part of this whole thing. The other thing is, I think that Uh, And the whole idea that our, you know, I have people try to get me to, now tell me how to do that. Give me a tutorial on how to do that, you know, and and I really have to just keep reiterating you can't push the river that our, our, what comes up for us, it. Will, it will come up. If we make room for stuff to come up, it will come up, and yep. then we will can work with it.
3: And what will come up may even be just our resistance to doing it, that, and that's wonderful. Like when we do our groups, we do week-long groups four times a year, and, and the atmosphere is very safe. So people invariably, within the first couple hours, all this stuff is surfacing, and it's not just talk. There's a lot of tears, emotion, anger, flow, realizations, because they're in a safe environment and they can flow whether it's anger or grief or joy or just speaking one's truth in a way one's never done before there's a permission to do that and we all have to give ourselves that permission and also seek out environments where that is uh, overtly cultivated supported
2: yeah, and then that committee in our head has to sort of give commission, permission oh, to... Oh, yeah, we have
3: to know all those different voices, like, okay, your inner critic is saying this. My question then would be, what are you saying back to your inner critic rather than, you know, poor you? Like, what what are you doing with these conflicting directions you feel in between your skull bones?
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I, sometimes I think, and I'm not sure that this is always the case, but sometimes I think... Um, That we have to honor both sides of any kind of inner conflict uh, to be able to get to a a peaceful place in the middle where we can, okay, now I can move forward. The
3: Gestalt process where I have have the two polarities in a person face each other and have a dialogue that's very spontaneous, intuitive. And then eventually they reach a place where they are sitting on neither cushion. They're holding both sides of the polarity, that dynamic, the one that wants it, the one that doesn't want it, whatever it is, and giving in to neither. And that to me is deep spiritual practice when you can you can hold those conflicting uh imperatives within and not be pulled by them. But you see them like you're like a loving parent looking at their children having a little tussle and fight, two toddlers fighting. You yeah, love them, you don't shame them for it, and you see so much more.
2: Right. Yeah, and you know, Indira, uh, India Ari had to do, had to have done some of this kind of work when she was trying to, uh, evolve into this new place where she's gotten to, where she started off where she was about to give up her singing career, but now, uh, she's changed her mind about that. Oprah's conversation continues with this multi-platinum Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter India Ari. Ari's soul-stirring lyrics centered on self-empowerment, but despite all the outward success, selling 10 million albums and earning four Grammy Awards, she found she wasn't living the life she sang about, and she walked away from the music business in hopes of returning to her spiritual roots. During the second part of this eye-opening conversation Oprah has with Ari. This coming Sunday on Super Soul Sunday, Ari reveals how her soul-seeking journey allowed her to find her own inner voice. Overcoming illness and insecurity after walking away from a successful career, she reveals how she finally returned to music. Then stay tuned for a special musical more performance from Ari's new album, Song Versation on the show coming up this week as well. Here's that clip.
0: She is the guest you've been buzzing about for weeks on Twitter. The super soulful, super solar. This is my favorite show on television. India Arie, 10 million albums sold. Four Grammy Awards. Why she decided to walk away from it all. How are you going to retire from music? Because music is you. It almost makes me want to cry just thinking about it because I knew I was afraid. So what do you know now that you didn't know then?
1: Super Soul Sunday. All new this Sunday, 11 a.m. 10 Central.
2: And isn't that just the way it is, Robert? We don't. What What do we know now that we didn't know then? Because she was willing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm you know,
3: speaking yeah, too of. of um, I'm extremely close to my wife Diane. One the way we met briefly she found me um, on my website. I was in Vancouver, British Columbia. She was in Ohio, California. and wanted to, she's a musician, singer. Wanted to set one of my poems to music. Wow. You know. Then we talked and talked, and a year later we were married, and we're together all the time now we do all our work together and, and I thought of her music when I heard that and how um I've taken my deepest insights made them into poetry and then she's put them to music top musicians to to record with her and wow. we use that in our work quite a bit that enchanting and, and movement and sound it's not all it's not all talking and, and uh, emotional work it's also that
2: beautiful Beautiful. Yeah, and, I, and you know, that whole process that she went through, of course, I, I can't talk about her in any other way but behind her back. But, 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 I, but, I, but I, I think that what I'm seeing about her process here has to be one in which she went to one side. She said, I'm quitting music. She went to that side and, and sat in the middle for a while, and then she came back to music again. And that, what do you know that you didn't know? Is is the whole process of emotional discovery?
3: Yeah, and what would you do if no one was watching? I've like often said to people, I would write if no one ever read a word of my writings ever again.
2: Yeah, it's in my yeah, blood.
3: me too. the work I'm doing and the, and the writing are like they're like these these twin pursuits, and either both of them are things I would do um, for the rest of my life without if, if whether I got rewarded for it or not paid or not, I would do that because they're in my blood and they're they're ways I have of, of giving myself fully
2: yeah they are your authentic self I agree that's exactly how I feel as well yeah. so yeah that, that living into that centered um, essence of who we are is, is huge and it does involve emotional it does involve the experience of
3: actually it involves the commitment. like right now I've got a, a book contract to do a book on men men's work so I'm, I'm I'm just working my butt off on that right now and it's exhausting for me but I don't mind because I, I know what it's for I've had all this experience working with men for over three decades. And here I got a lot of publishers well, Can someone, can you do this book for us? I said, sure. So I'm in it knowing full well back then this is going to take a lot out of me. But it's a joy to give myself that. Just like when we have a week long group, sometimes I can get quite tired, but I love the uh, way I'm used. I always say to the group, thank you for using me so well.
2: Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. I can't, do you know when that book's coming out? You have any idea?
3: August 1st. Okay. Intensity. Good. And knowing your shadow has been out for a couple of months under the radar a little bit from Sounds True, so people I'm getting a lot of good feedback on that. People just put on the headphones and lay back and just do the practices.
2: Yes. Yeah, so go to soundstrue. dot com and you can find Robert's work there. Um, knowing your own shadow. And, uh yes, uh, it, it, I, I really think the audio is uh, good for that kind of stuff because it does give us such experiential. You don't have to put the book down and pick it back up and, re- oh, what it was that I read? All <laughs> I had just before to-
3: was in-person work, which is my favorite. And I do I do a lot of phone work with people who live far away to, to test them to see if they're ready to do group work with us. And I've never really gotten to the online stuff. I've done some of that. I love writing, so the books keep... Being churned out. When I recorded that last uh, spring, which sounds true, the shadow program, I felt so at home in that. I thought, I want to do more of this.
2: Yeah. And maybe Beautiful. get my
3: wife on with me, too. We could do one on a relationship, but just to do more of it.
2: Yeah. Well, you've got a good voice, too, for that. Are you doing the recording yourself? For. For the. Uh, am I, uh, your audio
3: Oh, I, I hope I do. We haven't talked about that yet. Okay. I, I, my the publishers of spiritual bypassing I've said I'm, they want me to do that for spiritual bypassing, so I'm just uh, waiting for the go ahead from them so I can just sit in the studio and just read it.
2: Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. I'd love That's to do great. That. That's great. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, those all of your work is really. Uh, I I, I got to say thank you for doing the work you're doing because it's so essential. There's so much going on out there. That, you know, there's people that are really struggling to try to find some kind of spiritual awareness. And there's so much still out there that's telling them, stay clear of your emotions. Stay clear of that.
3: It's a big supermarket.
2: Yeah, and it's really, I, I just, yeah, I'm with you in that. I, yeah. I, I share some of your um, moral. I, I appreciate that. see about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you want to tell our listeners how they might be able to connect with you if they, if they can do that
3: yeah it's very simple uh, robertmasters.com that's where um, our week long groups advertise I'm going to be training therapists and how to work the way I work which is intuitive and integral uh, other news it's all robertmasters.com and um, that's the portal once you're in there there's a lot of, a lot of options
2: yeah yeah okay alright so go to robertmasters.com to learn more and to connect with uh, with uh, Dr. Masters work. All right. Was there any last little bits of uh, wisdom you have to give us? We have just a few, uh, just one minute actually left before the show is uh, closing. Do you have anything else to give us before you go?
3: No. Just to just to reiterate, um, when there's pain, turn toward it. You know, it's just you just bumped your big toe, or your partner insulted you. It's just something where you feel some pain. Practice turning toward it. Just a little tiny bit at a time. That's doable. It's a very small step, and if you do that other steps will make themselves obvious.
2: Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's great wisdom. All right. Well, we're going to be back next week, so you're going to be here for that. And uh, remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
1: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.